Matthew chapter 5 will be in verses 13 through 16 this evening. If you like taking notes, the title of this message is Forgotten Function. Forgotten Function. We'll read the verses, pray, and we'll jump in. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray one more time. And Lord, we pray that you speak to us this evening. We pray that you would bless, Lord, not just Thomas as he sent out, but you would bless us as we go out, that we would understand our calling, our identity, our purpose, our function, and the goal of why we're doing all of this. Lord, teach us how to be missionaries while living here in Old Bridge and the surrounding area. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, one of the things that's hard to appreciate when you're a young person like us. See how I was inclusive there? One of the hard things to appreciate is the house that you live in, someone has to pay the bills. So your parents will often not yell at you, but you know, strongly reprimand you when you leave the lights on in your room. And you're thinking it's not that big of a deal. I just left the light on, I'll turn it right off. Someone could have been staying in that room and, you know, we'll have the lights on anyway. But because they're paying the electric bill, they care because you are wasting the resources given to you on the wrong place, the wrong room. You could have been saving increments of money by simply turning the light off. Now, similarly, here Jesus explains by way of a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus explains to us that if light is put in the wrong place, it can be wasted. Now, how many of us don't understand the fact that God has called each and every one of us to be salt and light. And because of that, we have a particular function in this world. And because of our particular function, there's an end goal that God has in mind because he made you what you are to accomplish his purposes. So what we're going to see tonight in this section of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is reminding all of us, his disciples, of three aspects of their mission. Three aspects of their mission. First is their identity within the mission. Secondly, is the function in the mission. And thirdly, is the goal of the mission. Identity within the mission, function in the mission, and goal of the mission. So a little bit of background here. Remember that we have just gone through something called the Beatitudes. Blessed. Oh, how happy, how fortunate, congratulations if you are one of the people that are minimized by the world 
forgotten by the world, persecuted, lowly, meek, because this is what it's like to have the characteristics of the person who God has called into his kingdom. So we learned about that blessed life, the characteristics, and now Jesus begins to describe some of the functions of the people of this kingdom of God. Now, when he calls us salt and calls us light, obviously this is not literal. These are analogies, but analogies of what? Analogies of how we are to be functioning here in this world. Now, the very fact that Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth should tell us something. That we are the light of the world, it should tell us something. That this earth, this world, is both decaying and dark. The fact that you need salt in the world tells us that the world is lacking, it's decaying, it's decomposing. And so salt as a preservative keeps it from becoming more and more dark or more and more decayed. And as for light, we shine light in dark places to guide people, right? So we see that. But how often do we forget the state of our world? The world that we live in is decaying and it's dark. Now, depending on what show you watch on TV, what music you listen to, what people you hear from, people will say that everything's fine and dandy, everything's going great, but that's probably because we live in America, where, by and large, we don't have fear of war or terrorism as much as the rest of the parts of the world. We have fears of terrorism. We have fears of very realistic things that can happen in our society, but realize there are people in different parts of the country, or different parts of the world, rather, that literally will fear whether or not they will survive the day because of anarchy, because of different wars going on. I mean, we are, by and large, safe due to our military, due to God's provision, and all kinds of different things. But make no mistake that the world that we live in is not a good world. There is evil going on. Many of you may have participated this past week in a protest because there's been so many school shootings. And no matter where you stand, I'm not getting into politics, I don't need to get into politics, but all of us recognize that there's a problem. And that's why people your own age wanna be vocal about it, right? Things need to change. But we as believers get to tell, tell the world what the real problem is. It's the problem of the heart, that Jesus can transform radical people that are bent on evil that there's no heart too far from God that he can't reach in and change them. That was Paul the Apostle when he persecuted Christians, killing people, right? That God even changed the heart of the thief on the cross. He was able to reach the person that everyone else would say is unreachable. Oh, that person, that person will never come to know God. And you know what? That's encouraging for me because the people that I have in my life, that I feel like that person would be the farthest from God, that person would never accept God, would actually maybe be possible to, for God to reach. I know a pastor friend of mine who told me in his testimony that he was that kid when he was in high school, that all of his friends said, you are the person we, we would uh, find to be the least likely to become a Christian. They told him that after they brought him to an outreach and he raised his hand to receive Jesus. And so he was, first of all, he was really offended. He said, wow, I was really that bad? You thought I was the least likely to become a Christian? Number two, check this out. He said, man, how much it meant to me that my friends thought that I was the least likely to accept Jesus and they still invited me. 
There's no person that's too far from God that God can't reach their soul and may use you to reach that person. But we have to look at the world for what it is and say it's decaying, it's dark, it's bad. And our job as salt and light is to go in and to do God's work. Now, atheists will tell you that the world is full of chaos. I mean, that's the beginning of the world. The Big Bang, everything just came out of nothing and just became, began all this disorder and somehow it rearranged itself. But even the atheists that are believing in the beginning of the universe being a Big Bang or whatever you believe about the beginning of the universe, they all know that the end of the universe is going to be the heat death of the universe, that everything is going to go back into chaos. It doesn't seem to make any sense. So if you have an origin in chaos, an ending in chaos, it seems like what meaning could you really have in the middle, right? And you see this, senseless wars, meaningless murders, all kinds of things going on in the world today. But here's the thing. It's almost like if you had a 2,000-piece puzzle and you just threw the pieces all on the floor and said chaos, right? Chaos. It's all mixed up. It's all jumbled. It's the Christian's job to look at that 2,000-piece puzzle and say, no, there's a bigger picture here. And God wants to put it all back together. This is the message of the gospel, that sin is ultimately the problem, right? That we, in our free will, decide to rebel against God. And because of that, the world has fallen into darkness and decay, but Jesus himself set out to make it right. And we get to join him on that mission to putting back Humpty Dumpty back together again. So don't be deceived by appearances of the world. Christians, we cannot be deceived by how things appear, assuming that everything is fine just because we are not experiencing some of the turmoil that the rest of the world experiences. Just because we ourselves are not in that school where there's a shooting, don't be deceived that everything's fine. There are people, sometimes the worst situation to be in, not the worst, but a bad situation to be in is when everything looks fine, but deep down inside there are people struggling. How many people are suicidal or depressed and they never talk about it? And on the outside, everything looks like it's fine. I've known many friends who on the outside looked like they were great. They were having a great time. They were always out partying. But they never felt like they could share the deepest, darkest parts of who they are with anybody. Isn't that the most depressing thing, right? That you can't share that with anybody else? And listen, this is the only kind of relationship that people in the world can have because it's built on common hobbies, interests, my coworkers, my friends at school. And it's kind of awkward that if all you do is party with each other, that suddenly you're like, you know what? And I'm going through a really rough time. Everybody's there to have a good time. It's kind of weird if you bring that out. But listen, here at the church, this is what we're here to do. We're here to have fun, have a good time, but we're also here to find healing. And we know that all of us have different issues that we're dealing with. So that's what we've come to do. We're bringing the message of the gospel, not fooled by appearances, because we know that we have a job to do. So first of all, we have our identity within the mission. This is what Jesus reminds us, that maybe we forgot who we are. So he says in verse 13, what? You are the salt of the earth. Not you were or you will be, but you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, it says you are the light of the of the world. Now, first with salt, we already talked about this, but salt has a preservative quality, also adds flavor to your food, also has an antiseptic quality. If you had a wound, 
You put salt on it, it cleans it out. But back when they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have any way to really preserve the meat other than taking salt and sprinkling it on that and so that it would prevent it from decaying, from getting moldy or whatever else would happen, bacteria getting in. So that's kind of what we do. As Christians, we see a decaying world, and our job is to have our good works preserve it. We're there to, to be able to spread the salt and allow God to do his work through the power of his word. The second thing, maybe I said this even last week, I forget, but it's worth saying again, is that salt needs to be scattered in order for it to be effective. Salt needs to be scattered in order for it to be effective. If you have a giant plate of food, you don't just take salt and just dab it on one side of your plate. You need to spread it evenly, right? And this is what you see in church history is that God had scattered his people, allowed the scattering in order for the gospel to go out. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, it says that Saul, who later became Paul, was consenting to Stephen's death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Here's what you see is that as persecution arose and people had to run away to spread out, they brought the word wherever they went. This is our effect, to go out, not just to be salt, but to be scattered salt, to be bringing the gospel wherever we go. Listen, I find it hard to believe that all of us will be living here in Old Bridge or the surrounding area for the rest of our lives, just by statistics, right? You guys, if I asked you, where'd you want, if you could like live anywhere in the world, where would, you, where would you want to live? You'll have all different kinds of answers. Maybe out of the country, maybe in California where it's beautiful and there's amazing donuts and coffee. Wherever you want to live, I'd hope that you're bringing your saltiness with you and that you share the gospel. It's a good thing when people like Thomas are sent out. It's a good thing when we go on mission trips and people want to stay. It's a good thing when churches are planted and people want to start ministries. It's a great thing. Because listen, even if we're, we're separated by space, eventually we'll have a great reunion in heaven, won't we? And there we'll be able to share all of those stories. Or you can text each other or send emails or whatever. So light, what is the function of light? Well, number one, light exposes what is hidden. Light exposes what is hidden. I think you can make a pretty easy connection between the analogy of light exposing in the darkness, revealing what's there, and also you and your Christian life, that when people are in sin, you're shining light. You're exposing what's inside of their heart. Maybe at times God gives you a prophetic word for somebody else, and there are things that you, he places on your heart, and you just know about somebody else, and you can speak into their life to confirm that God's speaking to them. Maybe there's times like I'm even sharing, or people are sharing up here, and you're like, man, that's me. That's the thing that I know at the deep crevice of my heart I need to change. And that's the Lord. That's the, the function of light. Number two, light also guides who are lost. Light guides who are lost. Just like a flashlight in the dark, you're able to see where you're going. 
Now, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Interesting to note that, so when I was reading this verse, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible also say that Jesus is the light? So which is it? Is Jesus light or are we the light of the world? And the answer is both. The only reason why we are light is because Jesus is the light of the world. So many of us, I think we get confused as to think like God has specific desires for us, but doesn't desire his desires to be our desires. So in other words, God is evangelistic, but me, uh, evangelism's not really my thing. The reason why we would evangelize is because God is all about evangelism. The reason why we're reaching out to lost people is not because that's my thing or that's like somebody else's thing, Pastor Lloyd's thing. It's because it's God's thing. And so we should have God's heart. We are to be light in the world because Jesus is light. And since Jesus is not currently in physical form on the earth, guess what? We are now the embodiment of Jesus to the world. He's definitely coming back again, but until he does, we are here to represent Jesus as if he were here in flesh and blood today. That's why Jesus said, it's actually better if I go up to heaven because then I can send the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be in each and every one of you. And at that point, you can have millions upon millions of people who have the Holy Spirit represent Jesus in every corner of the earth. That's the whole point, is that as we go, we have the Holy Spirit go with us, and we are able to share, shine light, spread salt. Now, there's a really popular term in Christianity today. I don't like using Christianese because I feel like, don't we have enough? Why do we have to keep adding words? But here's an important word, and you may hear it often. The word is missional. Missional, okay? Ed Stetzer is a pastor, and he's also like a seminary dude. His, this is his definition of missional. He says, missional means adopting the posture of the missionary, joining Jesus on mission, and learning and adapting to the culture around you while remaining biblically sound. So in other words, being missional means living and acting like a missionary without ever leaving your city. This is what we're here to do, okay? So being salt, being light means being missional. It means being a missionary not just when you go to a different country, but without even leave, leaving your city. That you're thinking about what are the, the practices of the culture? What are the, the hangups of the culture? How can I learn about how to best strategize and reach people? See, this is what Jesus does. He sets out a strategy. He says, if you're light, don't take your light and put it under the bed. Actually, do something with it. Set out a strategy. Let your light so shine before men so that it gives light to all the house, Right? So we as well need to be strategizing, thinking about how to be missional because Jesus is missional. This is what he has done. He became a man to reach us. Tim Keller is a pastor who has this quote. He says, God does not merely send the church in mission. God is already in mission and the church must join him. I love that thought. See, this is not about us trying to start our own missions group or whatever, go out evangelize. The fact is, God is already doing this. He's already doing a work in the world. Our job is to ask him, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
If you don't know how to think about what to do about your future, do this. This is what the psalmist says. Or, yeah, psalmist, chapter 16. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Take whatever it is that you do that God has given you, your gift, and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to commit it to you. And guess what? The ideas are going to start coming. He's going to show you what to do. The plans will come. Because it's God's plans. It's God's gifts. And you're giving it back to him. So this is all talking about our identity in the mission. That we, we need to know that we are salt. We need to know that we are light. To be missional. To be incarnational. Huge words. But the point is, you're acting like a missionary where you are. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Everyone look up here. If you're not confident of who's, who God's calling you to be, you won't be obedient with what God's calling you to do. If you're not confident of who God's calling you to be, you won't be obedient with what God's calling you to do. Here's an illustration. If you show up to a restaurant... What are you going to do? You're going to stand there and wait for a person who's going to guide you to the table, sit you down, and order food, right? If you are a customer, if you're a waiter, you're going to have a completely different function, won't you? Because your identity dictates what you do. What you do flows from who you are. It's because I'm a waiter, I'm going to wait on tables. It's because I'm a customer, I'm going to go and sit and order food. If you are a missionary, you are going to do very different things. If you are salt, if you are light, you are going to act accordingly. That's the whole point. Our second point for this evening is about our function, our function in the mission of God. So have we forgotten our function? Here's a really old illustration that I've used a long time ago. I don't think any of you will remember it, so it's worth saying. And, uh, Many of you know that I used to work at a gas station. All my old illustrations, by the way, were about the gas station because that's all I did. Worked at a gas station for five years as a gas attendant. And I remember that I would always look for the cars that would give you the most tips because, believe it or not, people would actually tip you for being a gas pumper, and it's great. The most I ever made in one day in tips alone was $110. So pretty legit, right? You're like, what the heck? And it was around Christmas time. So around the holidays, people would just add their giving and then – it would really frustrate my coworker because he was like, man, I got like $50. That's the most I ever got in my life. And I'd be like, yeah, I got $110. And he got so mad. And then he would like work hard washing windows, checking oil, and I would have random food. Like people would just give me like candy canes and gifts and cookies and like left and right. And he would get so frustrated. Like, where did you get that? Like, I don't know. Someone just gave it to me. So we would always look for the, the customers who would give like really big tips. There was this one particular customer who he was like a big, burly dude with a giant beard, kind of an older guy. And he came in in this uh, Honda CRV, which is like an SUV, you know. And he came in and he had bumper stickers that said, well, first of all, one of them was uh, the atheist fish, you know, where it's like eating up Christianity. You've seen that before. The other one said, the last time Christianity ruled the world, it was the dark ages. So that gives you an idea of who this guy was. A whole bunch of bumper stickers that are super atheistic and stuff. And he was the nicest guy. Really. Like, he would come in. He would always tip me. And so what happened was this guy would always give me a dollar or whatever. He said, like, have a great day, brother. Like, this guy is so nice. But then it came around the time for the holidays. And at first, you know, so Christmas came. 
And I'm thinking, oh, do I wish him a Merry Christmas? I'm thinking probably not because he's an atheist, but maybe he still celebrates Christmas. I don't know. But if you look at the guy, you look at his bumper stickers, probably not. He's probably one of those people that's like, Christmas is evil. Let's not do that or something. So I'm thinking, I'm like debating. I'm like, oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to like witness and stuff. So I'm like going back and forth. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. He gives me a dollar after I'm done. And he says, hey, Merry Christmas, brother. I'm like, oh, man, I'm a loser. So whatever, fast forward, it's Easter time. And I'm thinking, Easter, no pagan celebrates Easter. It's a Christian. It's literally about the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm, same, same thing happens. He comes in, washing his windows, whatever. Then he gives me a tip. I don't say anything. He says, hey, happy Easter, brother. God, <laughs> terrible. And I wish the story ended with me saying, but then I got boldness, and I got courage, and I told him about Jesus. And I didn't. I just never saw him ever again. And I think about it, like, this is not one of the stories that ends in a happy ending. This is one of the stories that illustrates that so many of us, right, you know it too, that we edit parts of our life to make it less Christian. We're like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to take that light and put it underneath, you know, underneath my bed because we're afraid of the effect it's going to have on somebody else. But listen, this is where we have to have boldness because we have the truth. I am not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God unto salvation. That we need to recognize that a person could be saved by our preaching of the word. So, let me ask you a question. Do people act differently when you're around? Have you recognized your function in the world to have that effect of salt, have that effect of light? Here's what verse 13 says. In the second half, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? In other words, if salt's not salty, how are you going to make it salty again? Add more salt? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What good is salt that's not salty? Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So if we as believers will not be salt and will not be light, who will be salt and who will be light? If we're not the ones who are going to go out and prevent the world from decaying, to light up the world from being dark, who will do that? God has called us to be the salt and be the light. Now, maybe you're just thinking, I'm just not a person who's like, that charismatic. I'm not that kind of person that's like really open about anything really. But listen, it's been said that everyone is an evangelist for something. Evangelism just means good news, proclaiming the good news. But it could be all kinds of good news. As soon as you're in a relationship, what do you do? You post it all over your Instagram. If you still have a Facebook for whatever weird reason, you change your Facebook status. You change your profile picture. You do everything, right? You want the whole world to know, I'm in a relationship. And it's awesome, and you are terrible, right? Everyone's an evangelist for something. When you have an amazing story, something really cool happened to you today, you want to share it with everyone. When you have an achievement, you want to show it off. We all evangelize something. Why not share the greatest news ever? That God wants to save sinners. That he can change our lives, right? Isn't that the best news? The problem is, if we don't recognize it for what it is, good news, then we're not going to share it with enthusiasm. Then it's going to be like, oh, 
my youth pastor told me I have to invite 10 people to youth group, otherwise I would not be saved, right? That's not even true. Um, oh, this is so terrible. A youth pastor friend of mine sent me a picture of a different youth group. Not going to say what its name was. But uh, this, this youth group said, um, whoever invites the most people to youth group, brings the most kids to youth group, gets a $100 gift card. Isn't that messed up? Imagine being one of those friends that finds out that you were invited only because they were going to get 100 bucks. Like, give me the $100. You brought me, and I'm the one who got you the $100. Give the $100 to me, right? Isn't that sad? Right? But isn't that how the world feels about Christianity? It's all a gimmick. The only reason why you're inviting people to church is because you're supposed to. We need to make you converted and bring you to our religion. It's just weird. Just be a normal person, but genuinely be excited about the good news that you have received. Freely you have received, then freely you also give. That's it. So we need to recognize the power that's in salt, the power that's in light, the effect it has on the world. So here's another question. What would it look like for you to embrace the mission of God? I don't know. I don't know what your situation is. I know you're a teenager. You go to public school. Some of you homeschooled. Some of you Christian schooled. So I don't know if I could literally tell you how you can carry out the mission of God, but you know who can? The Holy Spirit. And he's going to convict you in those moments. All I'm asking you to do is this. Pray this prayer. Lord, I pray that you give me opportunities to share with other people. Number two, do this. As soon as he pricks your heart and say, that's the one that you just obey. I'm not asking you to come up with this crazy strategy. I'm not asking you to do this crazy thing, invite 100 people to youth group, and then I'll give you $100. Just no, that's stupid. I'm asking you to do those two things. Ask God, direct you to the right people, and then number two, when he tells you, just go. It's really, really simple. Then you're allowing God to do the work. He shows you, you do it, and people come, or they don't come. That's not your responsibility. Our responsibility is to just be obedient to what God has called us to do and to be. I love uh, Pastor Lloyd this past weekend taught on this passage. I don't know how many of you were here for that, but he said this. It was like great. He said, we're called the salt of the earth, not the sugar of the earth, right? Our job is not to make the world sweet. It's to preserve it. It's to heal it. It's to be able to shine light in the darkness when people are without hope. There's a lot of sugar going on in church today where people feel good. You hear a message about how to live your best life now and whatever. But that's not our job because ultimately, that's only temporary anyway. If all I do is give you practical tips on how you can have a great life, then you're still going to walk away empty and feeling without purpose, without hope, and without the healing that you need from the power of sin. All of us know what it's like to do bad things and to feel like no matter what you do, it just can't undo it. I say stupid things. I've hurt people. I hurt people this past week. And I look at them like, ah, and you want to fix it, right? You want to go back to the person you apologize and like, I forgive you. And they're like, oh, you don't really forgive me, right? You want to do stuff. How much more the God of the universe when we've sinned against him and you're like, ah, oh, what can I do? We can't. All we can do is accept his free gift of salvation his sacrifice, and just walk out in gratitude that, really, you're not going to require anything of me? Even though I've done so many bad things, you're not going to require anything of me? That's what we need to recognize. God forgives us. It's pretty awesome. So, embracing the mission of God. 
pray it. Seek it out. Maybe it is you're going to your school and you're thinking about that one person you could share with. Maybe it is a vertical identity or you're handing out a card to somebody or whatever. Or maybe it's just stopping editing out parts of our Christian life. It's really easy to brag about the mission trip to Haiti, right, when all you do is go and help people. And like, so what did you guys do? I'm like, yeah, we help people. I find myself doing that too, right, when people ask me what I do. It's kind of like, I'm a youth pastor. What's that? Um, teach people about stuff and help them. Yep. But I do other stuff too, right? It's easy to talk like that. But I need to remind myself, and you have to remind yourself too, like, there is a reason why God has given us that opportunity right in front of us, and we need to share it and not be afraid of being offensive. Number three, this last thing, is that our, we need to remember our goal of the mission, our goal of the mission. Here's the goal, verse 16. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's the goal. That as we let our light so shine, that God is ultimately glorified. That he's magnified. That his beauty is largened. That's our goal, glorification of God. Here's a quote I've said before, but it's great. It's by this pastor named John Piper. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Uh, I love that. There's a book actually written by a guy named Mark Cahill, and maybe you've seen the title. It's called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. And the whole purpose of that is to think about we will not be able to share Jesus in the same way that we do now with sinners in heaven. So let's do it now while we can. Now, I think it's funny because there's two things you can't do in heaven. You can't share with unbelievers. You also can't sin in heaven. But that's besides the point. Are we taking advantage of the fact that our days are limited? And this is the whole reason why we're here, to share the love of Jesus with others. Now, it's the glorification of God, right? So not the glorification of us. Not people look at us and say, like, man, we have the biggest church. We have the coolest people. And, like, who even cares about how big our church is? I never cared when I was a teenager. You probably don't either. But we can brag about, like, you know, this past week, I did not sin. This past week, I did not do drugs. This past week, I and like, you just have this list of things that you can brag about. That's not the point. It's all about bringing worship to God. So, once again, if the word glorification scares you, like evangelism does, just remember that this is what our souls were designed to do. All of us want to glorify something. We were designed to do this. So everybody knows that when there's a song that's written, even if you don't write music, a song that's written for somebody else, they have somebody in mind, it makes the, the song that much more meaningful when you know the story behind it. Or if you do write music, you write a song for somebody else's specific enjoyment. Maybe it's even your own. If you're giving a gift, you're doing that to see the expression in a loved one. You want to see them glad, pleased, whatever. And this is what glorification is. We're doing all this for the Lord and his worship, his sake. So in John chapter 12, there's a great story where Mary 
has this costly jar of spikenard. Don't know what it smells like, but it's a fragrance. Very expensive. The jar was worth an entire year's worth of wages. So, you know, whatever the average, let's say it's $50,000, whatever the average wage is, a jar, an entire year's worth of wages. And she takes out the entire jar and empties it on Jesus' feet. Just completely pours the thing out. And then after that, takes her hair, uh, makes it undone, and then she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, because we're not in that culture, that sounds really gross and disgusting. <laughs> like, like, there's, like, the two, like, Bible kids that all they think about is the Bible. Like, that's so precious. Everybody else is just like, that's kind of gross. But if you were familiar with that culture... First of all, it was kind of embarrassing for a woman to ever let down her hair. But she was willing to be ridiculed. She was willing to have that shame so that she could bless Jesus. She wanted to lavish the glory upon Jesus. See, women in, in the Old Testament, I guess today too, but in the Old Testament, in the New Testament 2,000 years ago, the hair was like the glory of women. And for her to say, I'm laying everything out for Jesus, everything I have, this entire jar of costly oil, just letting out that fragrance. And the Bible says that the fragrance filled the house. Now, one of the disciples is just like, why in the world would you do that? What a waste. Man, you could have sold that and then given it to the poor. And he really, he was thinking about himself. It was Judas. He's like, I could have taken that money. But he's like, oh, that's a shame. Man, why, why wouldn't you just take that and sell that to the poor and use the resources? And Jesus says, no, listen, what she did is what all of us need to do. What she did is that she glorified me. She said, the poor, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have with you always. So here's the point. When we gather together and we have the opportunity to enter into God's presence, we're saying, I'm giving you everything. I want to give Jesus my all. When we have those opportunities to share the life of Jesus with somebody else, we're not saying, oh, I don't know. I just, ugh. Time's running up. I got to go back to school. I got to go, you know. Take a second and say, the most important thing is that there's a soul right in front of me, and their eternal destination hangs in the balance, and God has given me the privilege of representing him in this moment. You think Jesus would be in a hurry? Like, oh, you know, like, kind of busy today. I really want to talk to this person. But to adopt the practice of Jesus, the mindset of Jesus, to say, no, the most important thing is this person right in front of me, and therefore I'm going to be Jesus to that person. So wrapping all that up, in conclusion, vertical identity is coming up in less than a month, and I'd hope that all of us are adopting this mentality that, listen, some of your friends, some of my friends, maybe they can encounter Jesus for the very first time by coming on that Friday night. Friday night's the outreach. Saturday's more for church kids. Both are going to be amazing, but Friday night is really the outreach that I want to see as many unbelieving people as possible. That's just my hope and my prayer. And hopefully you're joining with me in that mission. But even more than that, even more than having like a thousand people here on a Friday night, which happens, even more than that as a blessing would be a lifestyle of evangelism, a lifestyle of understanding that we are salt and light and no matter where we go, it's not a big thing. It's just like, this is what we do. We are the church. We're gonna bring people out. We're gonna spread salt and we're going to do it together so that God is glorified and people come to know him. Deal Moody has this quote. I'll close with this. It says, the world can get on well without you and me, but the world cannot get on without Christ, and therefore we must testify of him. Let's pray.